been uh, as going through Proverbs chapter 24 and and uh, we've been just kind of taking small bites, it seems, in each study, and we're going to do that again tonight. We're just going to begin in verse 19, and uh, the plan is to just stop in verse 22 because uh, there'll be a, a change of subject, and in, in, in considering what we're talking about tonight, I think it'd be good if we just, uh, if we just stay focused on this one theme. And the theme of these verses has to do with guarding against envy. Guarding against envy. Over and over again, we talk about the practicality of Proverbs. And I don't think we can stress that too much. Because, I mean, it gets right down where we live. In those troublesome spots in our life, those things that we have to deal with every day, the temptations and the, uh, so forth. And so uh, certainly this is one that in some way touches all of us at some time or another. And uh, in verse number 19, it just gets down to the bare bones facts of what a dangerous thing this is. Solomon says, fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. Now, notice there are two things that are mentioned here. They both relate to one another, but they are two separate lines of thought. In the first one, he says, fret not thyself. Well, we could just stop there and talk about that for a long time, but we want to keep it in the context And he says, fret not thyself because of evil men. Now, today we often use that word fret, you know, in the sense of being worried about something or being troubled about something. Well, you know, I've just been fretting about that. Well, that is not the meaning uh, of the Hebrew word that is translated fret here in this verse. This means to burn. It means anger. It means to be enraged. And so it's more than just, you know, uh, uh, being upset because of the uh, evil men and what they do. It's it's being angry. And, and, and I think all of us tend to get angry at evil men, especially those that seem uh, to prosper. You know, just having gone through a uh, short time ago, the election and everything leading up to that. And, and you know, it's really easy for us to to, to get blinded by anger. And, and, and there are those that are there. I mean, at this very moment, they are just consumed with their anger. And, and, and naturally, we can look at the world and we can think about all the wickedness in the world. And, and how evil people are. Uh, I was talking to Jason just a while ago, and he'd worked in an accident, and I can't go into any detail. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, the wife was the only survivor, the, uh, the, the husband and, and the child, and, and I think uh, another family member were all killed. And uh, the, the, the guy that caused the wreck that took the lives was just had a I don't care attitude no big deal and uh, in fact one of the cops commented you know on what he would like to have done to this guy but it's so amazing to think about 
the people that can have such little value for human life and that they can be so cruel, so evil, and, and, and if we're not careful, we'll let ourselves just get eaten up with that anger that is within us. And, and that's not, listen, that's not good for you. It's not good for them or anybody else. Uh, because number one, it doesn't just divert our attention. It destroys our ambition when it comes to, you know, wanting to do uh, the things that God would have us to do. We just kind of lose heart because we are so angry about the condition of the world. There have been preachers that have ruined their ministry, dropped out of the ministry because of their anger with the world. And they finally concluded, well, it, you know, I might as well quit because it doesn't do any good. The world is so bad nowadays that you really can't accomplish anything. I'm just going to throw in the towel. And they did. So this is a real danger area, but I want you to notice here that the fretting, the anger here has to do with those who seem to prosper. And uh, that, that, as we'd say back in Missouri, that really gets your goat. You know, they're not just evil, they're not just wicked people, but they seem to prosper. And the result of that is, you know, uh, because the world is so bad, we're, we get so sad that we just destroy any possibility of being a blessing or a help to people. And that anger robs us of the enjoyment that God wants us to to have and that that's adding sadness to sadness when we do that so fret not thyself because of evil men now right right on the heels of that and closely associated with that is this next statement neither be thou envious at the wicked somebody somebody said i have no idea who it was but i jotted it down it was one of those things that i've got to remember that and they said, sin looks like a shortcut to success. You know, and sometimes that's true. We see somebody that's living in sin, and it's obvious they don't care anything about God. They don't care anything about other people. But they, they seem to, to prosper. And uh, so many times we look at their prosperity, and all of a sudden, you know, we become envious of, of what they've got. We want to get what they've got. We're angry because we don't have it, and they do. Well, the next verse is going to tell us why, and it's going to give us the antidote to this foolish reasoning of being envious at the wicked. But before we look at that verse, I want you to turn back in your Bible or mark there in the margin, Psalm 73. And, uh, wow, this, uh, I can remember 10, 12 years ago, or maybe 15, I don't know, I lose track of time, but of having a whole series that I preached from Psalm 73. And I wish I had time to, to deal with it uh, to a greater extent tonight, but let me just read some of the verses. He begins on a high note. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such that are, that, as of, our, of a clean heart. Well, we all expect that, right? But notice what he says next. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was envious at the foolish. 
when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, now notice the things that he observed and the things that that's making him angry. He said, for there are no bands in their death and their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Their pride encompasseth them about as a chain, and violence covereth them as a garment, and their eyes stand out with fatness. That's a way of saying that they are prospering. They have more than their heart could wish. That's kind of like he's saying, they've got everything that I want. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily and they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue uh, uh, walketh through the earth. And therefore his people returneth hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out of them. And they say, how doth God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, These are the ungodly who prosper in the world, who increase in riches. Verily, now listen to what he says next. I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all of the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Do you get the gravity of what he just said? I mean, how crazy is that? For him to make a statement like that, I've cleansed my heart in vain. No, you haven't. Wake up. But he looks at their prosperity, and then he looks at the problems he's going through. He says he's been plagued and chastened every morning. I mean, I get up every morning, and i got the same old problems hanging over my head, and i got all of these problems and difficulties, and I look at them, and they don't care anything about God or or other people, and they are prospering they have all of the stuff that i want and, and and that's why he said as for me my feet were almost gone they'd well nigh slip in other words i'm about to fall i'm, I'm going to crash and burn that's the idea behind it verse 15 if i say i will speak thus should i offend against the generation of thy children when i thought to know this it was too painful for me Now get this, just a few more verses. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, in other words, we'd say today I went to church, I gathered with God's people, I heard God's word, and then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. For they are brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with tears and he goes on and on and i'm going to stop there but you get the point and the point is i was envious at the wicked until i saw their latter end whenever i realized uh, how it ends for them and all of a sudden he realized wow i don't have anything to be envious of them about because uh Their sin is not a shortcut to success. It's not a means of reward. Now, going back to where we left off here in Proverbs, he said, Neither be thou envious of the wicked. Now, I said the antidote is given in the next verse, verse 20. For there shall be no reward to the evil man. Contrary to the way that we think and the way that it seems, he says there will be no reward to evil men. 
the famous commentary uh, by Matthew Henry said, uh, those are not to be envied that have their portion in this life and must, and must outlive it. Now think about that. The point is they have their reward, but it's here. They have their reward, but this is all of the reward that they will ever have. And they could lose it at any moment. And that's what he was talking about over there in Psalm 73. I mean, that, that, I mean, they're just a hair's breadth away from destruction at any time. And we look at the, we, we look at the prosperity of the wicked and we think, well, it's just not fair that they have so much. But remember, that's all they, they'll ever have. And they're only going to have it as long as they're here. And as Matthew Henry said, they're going to outlive their reward. That reward will end and they will go on and on and on facing an eternity without a reward of any sort whatsoever. So they've got all they're going to get and they might lose it at any time before they leave this world. Don't be envious of those that seem to prosper. Let me just interject this before I go on. A lot of times whenever we think about that and we observe it in others, and what we forget is what Paul said in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, I believe it is, where he said it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Because we wonder, why is God being so good to people that are so bad? Well, it's because God is at work trying to bring them to a place of repentance. And, and, and we ought not to despise that. We ought to thank God He's such a good God, even as wicked as they are, because God, you know, we might have given up on them, but God hasn't given up on them. And God is putting His, His goodness on display because you better believe deep down in their heart they know that they are undeserving of those blessings. And God just keeps on blessing because God is at work trying to draw them to a place of repentance. Now let's go on and back to our text verse. He says, the candle of the wicked shall be put out. That's another way of saying that the wicked have no future, or at least not a good one. Their candle is going to be put out. In Proverbs 13 and verse number 9, Solomon said, The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. So he said the same thing there. You know, one of the, one of the things that I have enjoyed over the years in, in reading is to read about the ancient customs and what have you. Because a lot of times, you know, we, we think of the world that we live in and we tend to relate everything to the way things are now and we forget about how it was back then. And so in one of the books I have is Manners and Customs of the Bible Land. It was written by Fred Wright. I've had it for uh, well over 40 years. And he makes a, a statement about light uh, in the Palestinian houses back then. And, and, and I want to read it to you. It'll just take a minute. He said a lamp is considered by the Palestinian peasants one luxury that is a necessity. When the sun sets in the west, the door of his house is shut, and then the lamp is lit. To sleep without a light 
is considered by most villagers to be a sign of extreme poverty. The Bible makes synonymous such terms as lamp, light, and life. A late traveler looks to see a light in a house, and then he knows there is life there. To wish that a man's light be put out would be to wish him a terrible curse. That's the point the writer is trying to make here. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. So that helps us to see what this proverb is all about. The wicked are cursed, but the righteous, they have reason to rejoice because they have a reward. So before you, before you, you know, get angry at what God's doing toward the wicked and you get envious at their prosperity, consider their latter end. There, there was, a, I think it was French, the famous infidel by the name of Hobbes. I've got some deathbed sayings in the back of my Bible, both of Christians and non-Christians, that I wrote down a lot of years ago. This, this is what Hobbes said, this famous infidel of his day. And he loved a public forum to get out and debate his views. He said, I give my body to the dust and my soul to the great perhaps. I'm going to take a leap in the dark. And his last words were, I am taking a fearful, a fearful leap into the dark. Indeed he was. To think of God as the great perhaps. Maybe there is a God, maybe there isn't a God, you know, and, uh, and uh, I'm just going to take a leap in the dark. Uh, I, I've got news for you. It's not going to end well. You know, that's kind of like saying, well, I just hope everything turns out all right. You know, I'm just, uh, I can't do anything about it. So I'm going to eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow I might die. And so uh, I'm, I'm not going to make myself miserable worrying about it. Well, you're headed for a, a, an eternity of misery if that's your attitude. Edward Gibbon, who wrote the, uh, the, the Rise and the Fall of the Roman Empire. And there's another book that I had for many years. When he comes down to his deathbed, he said, All is lost, irrevocably lost. All is dark and doubtful. Wouldn't you hate to be on your deathbed feeling like that? All is dark and doubtful. All is lost. Wow. Let me tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. But that's the latter end of those people that... that Crowd God out of their life, those that choose wickedness over righteousness. Now, verse 21. My son, you know, I read that and I, I after what he just said, and, and you know, you think about addressing your children and, and looking out for their welfare and, you know, knowing maybe from experience that sin doesn't pay. And probably every parent here has had one of those talks with their children. You've seen them headed in the wrong direction, and you've sat down and you've said, Look, you know, Dad, Mom, I love you with all of my heart, and, and, and I've just got to warn you. Notice what it says, My son, fear thou the Lord and the King, and meddle not with them that are given to change. Now, the first part of this naturally talks about loyalty to God. 
you know, that's a give me. I mean, that ought to be obvious that we ought to fear the Lord. That is to have a, a reverence for the God of heaven. But then notice he speaks about the king. That has to do with civil authority and, uh, you know, and, and in keeping with what's taught throughout the word of God, that is essential to, a, uh, to, to pleasing God. God expects him to, uh, us to obey the authority that he has placed over us, and that's conducive to our holiness and, and to our happiness. We don't have any right to just break the bonds of civil government and say we're going to live as we please. God has ordained the powers that are over us. And a lot of times, listen, a lot of times, you know, there are going to be rules and regulations and things of that nature that we might not agree with. But if those rules, if those requirements from the government are not contrary to the Scriptures, if they do not force us to disobey God, then we're obligated to, to obey them. And God from the very beginning has had an order of authority, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the nation, whether it's in a church or whatever it is. And uh, we need to have reverence for the authority over us. Now, in the second half of the verse here, I want you to notice that he warns his son and he's warning us to avoid those that, as we might say, that are otherwise disposed. In other words, they think just the opposite. They, you know, they don't have any fear of God. And he puts it in, I think, to me anyway, a bit of a strange way when he says those that are given to change those that are given to change well what in the world does that mean well if you keep it in the context here you'd have to say that this refers to those who have different thoughts they're given to change they've got the opposite thoughts that you do and regarding respect for God and authority and so, now notice he doesn't say those that change, but he says those that are given to change. You know, sometimes there might be a justifiable reason for change, but the idea here has to do with what we would call dissidents. This has to do with people that uh, has no respect for God or civil authority, and he's warning his son, you stay away from people like that. Don't become entangled with them. Don't join forces with them. Now, notice here we go again. The next verse tells us why he's making that statement. For their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both? Those that are disrespectful, that are disloyal toward God and civil authorities, they put themselves in great danger. Notice, their calamity shall rise suddenly. In other words, it will come out of nowhere. They seem to be prosperous today. Everything's going their way. They don't love God. They don't fear the king. They have no respect for authority or anything. But their calamity shall rise suddenly. And another way of saying that retribution is sure to come, and it's going to come without any delay. It'll come at God's appointed time. Sometimes we look at people and we think, you know, why is it that they got by with their sin? There's a particular ad for a series that's that's 
coming. It's probably already here. I think it's on the ID channel, if I'm not mistaken, and I won't even... I won't even mention any names, but it's about a famous trial that took place a few years ago. And just every time I see that, it just makes me nearly fighting mad to think that there is someone that 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 is guilty of murder and got by with it. And that's not the only case. And you might be thinking of a different one than I am. There are several cases like that where, I mean, it's... You know, to our mind, it's obvious to just about everybody that they're as guilty as sin in some way or another. They got by with it. That's the way it appears. But let me tell you, they're not getting by with it. They're not. They have to answer to God and their calamity shall come upon them suddenly at God's appointed time without any warning whatsoever and God's judgment's going to fall upon them. So we have no reason to be envious of the wicked. Now, the the next phrase has been subjected to a lot of different interpretations and... and uh, most likely the word both here, notice what he says concerning both. I think it refers to the God to God and to the king. And so the ruin here is referring to the penalty that is assessed for having that attitude toward God and the king. And the whole idea is that there's no telling what a great price they might have to pay for their wrongdoing. There are some people, you know, that have got the idea that the sin is so pleasurable that, you know, I, uh, I, I don't mind suffering the judgment for it because the pleasure I get from it is worth it. I remember Brother Ron talking about uh, whenever he was a boy and his mom didn't want him to, to shoot squirrels, I believe it was, but he really liked squirrels you know and but his mom didn't want him to shoot them that you know look at them i guess i i I was raised raised on squirrel and rabbit and quail and fish that's what we lived on Uh, but anyway he he knew he was going to get a whipping if he'd killed a squirrel but he knew they wouldn't waste the meat and he said he liked the squirrel so much you know that he'd go ahead and kill the squirrel and take the whipping so he'd get the meal (laughs) You know, there are a lot of people that have an attitude like that towards sin. And I've, I've had people, I remember a preacher telling me some years ago, and he, here was a man that got so far out of God's will, it was absolutely amazing. It cost him his family and everything. And he said, I, I know God's going, to, I, God's going to whip me for this. I know that it's coming. But, and, and, and then he turned right around and excused himself. And, and he said, in essence, I won't repeat the exact same words, but he said, in essence, I, 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 I can't help myself. I, you know, I've got myself in a situation to where my love for blank is so great, you know, that, that I, I can't do what I know is right, and I know God's going to judge me for it. And, and he went ahead and did it. You know, that just blows my mind to think about somebody that calls themselves a preacher that would do that. But in reality, there are a lot of people that do that all the time, every day. I mean, even while they're sinning, they know in their heart that they're wrong. 
and they know they're going to have to answer for it. Whatever you do, folks, when you look around and you see people that might be, well, you think about these star athletes that make millions and millions of dollars playing ball. Think about it. People make millions of dollars for going out there and throwing a bag of zipped-up air down the field. And, and, boy, we're just so happy for them. And, 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 and if, we're not, if we're not careful, we, we convey to our children, that's what you ought to be like. Or maybe it's an entertainer. Oh, boy, I mean, you've got a lot of singing ability. You need to be the next Mariah Carey or something. God help you to not ever do something like that. But a lot of times that's the impression that we leave. And, 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 and consequently, we aspire to have what those people have got. Let me tell you, it's not a pretty picture. You better look at the big picture and consider the end. And for them, it's not good. But for you, as Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven. There's a payday someday. A payday someday. And all of God's children are going to be rewarded for the good they've done. And, and, and I believe that old song is right that says it pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. It pays every way. Don't you dare spend your life doing anything but serving Jesus. I was trying to write a pastor's pen uh, this afternoon and trying to put my thoughts down in ink on paper and uh, express what I was feeling. And uh, in a part of it, I, I couldn't help but make reference to our singing Sunday night and, uh, and the kiddos. Some of them are not kiddos anymore, but the young people and Casey back there and different ones. And uh, seeing them with a willingness to use their talent for God. And boy, what a blessing that is. And, you know, all I can say is keep it up. Don't you dare let anyone or anything stop you from doing that. And uh, it'll be worth it all someday. Thank you so much for your attention tonight. And Lord willing, we'll pick up uh, in the next verse next week. Anybody have a comment?